Welcome to podcast number 18, Anxiety, Behind Closed Doors. In today's podcast, I wanted to highlight an illness that often goes unnoticed, undetected, and too often relegated to the shadows of the mental illness community, but is just as problematic and difficult as clinical depression or bipolar. Now, a group of mental illnesses often related and connected to depression and bipolar are referred to as anxiety disorders. Anxiety is actually a broader term for a set of illnesses, mental illnesses, that all revolve around extreme worry, concern, fear. And we're talking about the flight or fight kind of fear. This is not your I'm nervous to speak in sacrament meeting type of anxiety, but rather a more consistent, broader, and deeper feeling of fear and worry that paralyzes someone physically, mentally, socially, and spiritually. As in the case of most mental illnesses, there exists a genetic component, a traumatic component, and a random component to the illness. Now, you're more likely to have it when you have a family history, but then again, you can have anxiety disorder without any known family link. It is not likely to come upon you suddenly, but in the case of traumatic events, it can move from a little worry to cloistered in your bedroom in a matter of a short period of time. Most people who deal with the illness don't see it as a mental illness simply because it doesn't always manifest itself in a manner that would be recognizable. And everyone gets a little nervous, and so it is often disregarded as nervousness or kind of an extreme nervousness. In our society, we deal with anxiety and nervousness more often with a let's jump into the deep end of the pool and learn how to swim approach. While the just jump in approach does work with some typical nervousness, it can be problematic and even detrimental to someone who has anxiety disorders. And many people with the illness do not always have symptoms that they would associate with anxiety. Sometimes symptoms such as rashes, ulcers, loss of hair, loss of appetite, additional appetite, and so forth can actually be anxiety rather than a physical illness. As far as spiritual matters, it can be debilitating in any number of ways, including simply anxious fears about guilt, callings, speaking, teaching, serving, and even going to activities. Often individuals who who do know that they have the do not know they have the illness will simply walk away from the church activity because it reduces their symptoms. I know that might sound a little strange, but it isn't the gospel or the teachings that are causing any issues. It's the outward administration of the gospel with its activities the standing up teaching in front of people, service, and so forth, that causes such a deeply paralyzing effect. So it's really not a doctrinal issue for them, but more of a procedural and administrative one. And actually, that portion can be remedied, given a diagnosis diagnosis and a little bit of help. Now, most often you find anxiety as a mental illness discussed in connection with something like long-term clinical depression. This doesn't mean that anxiety does not exist on its own, because it does and it can be just as debilitating as any other mental illness. Anxiety actually can even lead to depression. However, believe I believe sometimes that these lesser-known disorders, such as anxiety, and obviously so many others, are relegated to the outskirts of the mental health community. Depression and bipolar have such a tendency to take over community governance due to their frequent occurrence within the overall community, and simply because more individuals popular in our culture have come forth to educate others about depression and bipolar. This does not make anxiety disorders any less problematic or any less real, but very much more hidden. 
They possess a similar ability. These anxieties possess a similar ability to create disturbance, disability, and dysfunction in one's overall life. They affect employment, relationship, activities, and spirituality. Now, I found that in many cases, perhaps because of lack of education, they have become less believable as well than depression and bipolar. It can be difficult to understand why someone all of a sudden has to stand up and leave the church building and not return. Or can something just come on, come upon someone without their consent or at least their ability to control it at a moment's notice? It is difficult to imagine for someone who has not experienced it. Now, the only thing that I can relate it to would be seeing a snake, a spider, mouse, when you have a phobia for these things. You lose control. You go into fight or flight mode. However, in the case of these mental illnesses, the feelings can and often come, sometimes without a cause. There might be a cause of trauma, but sometimes they just come on without a cause. Now, yes, anxiety disorders can be activated in a number of ways, but it doesn't mean that they always have to have contributory factors. Now, crowded rooms, airplanes, tight spaces, tight clothing, rooms with people in them, traumatic events, um, such as abuse and so forth, or even accidents or death or suicide, can be triggers for the disorder, but doesn't mean that it will always occur in every situation or even the same situation. And there's really no particular way to know when. Even the symptoms can change in different situations. Certainly you can say that it might happen in particular situations for the individual. And so there is some predictability, but there is always a moment that isn't predictable. The disease might stay the same for a long time or progress quite rapidly. Now, like other mental illnesses, it is somewhat unpredictable as far as progression, especially without treatment. Now, I've heard this illness described as simply someone who can't control their worry, their worry wart. But having experienced this one a little bit, sometimes there isn't even anything causing it. You just feel deeply anxious, and you ask yourself why, and you say to yourself, I don't know, but the feeling is really there. Now, anxiety is debilitating on many levels. It runs your body crazy for days and weeks at a time, and leaving you feeling desperate for good sleep, any good thoughts, and any type of good feeling. Exhaustion, fear, sleeplessness, oftentimes nightmares, can all form a terrible vortex that simply consumes one's life. I've heard someone say, why don't you just snap out of it? Now, if individuals who have this illness could simply snap out of it, I would think they would do it. The problem is not often thinking patterns, but a pattern of chemistry in the brain and in the body that creates the thinking patterns that are again reinforced by the chemistry time and time again. It's a terribly compounding illness. Good, women, good men, women, youth become almost confined to their home and to their rooms because of it. This type of illness is incredibly susceptible also to self-medication and drugs which have a more calming effect upon the body. Now, having experienced this problem on a smaller scale or then would be the extreme scale during both depression and mania, mania I myself could not even imagine a more developed illness such as panic disorder. Now, how do these illnesses affect members of the church? As members of the church, we expect to fill the spirit as a voice of calm, peace, love, in a still small way. Anxiety at its core is just kind of the opposite of those feelings. It can make it nearly impossible to feel the spirit and to receive personal revelation, which is so critical to our conversation and our daily travels through this life. The doubt, concern, and constant pressure to think about things out of our control is overwhelming to soul and body. Sometimes it's not even things about out of our control, as it's simply a feeling of dread or fear that is inescapable. 
All of us do get nervous when we have things to do that are new and difficult. But when you are already overburdened with deeply anxious feelings and then are asked to give a talk at sacrament meeting, you can actually get very ill, physically ill. Your physical body deals with the mental illness in unique ways. And one of the ways that it effectively self-medicates or provides a defense mechanism is that it will make you physically sick. The physical sickness caused by the chemicals in the brain is actually a response to the difficulties associated with a new environmental incursion. But it is a subconscious, uncontrolled response. And so the person actually feels sick and experiences symptoms of physical ailment where the ailment may not be the actual problem. In the church, we are taught that we don't decline invitations, callings, or counsel from our leaders. This is good advice for those who are a little tentative and need just a little push of confidence to do things that are difficult. So the teaching is good. It is a good manner of teaching for the majority of the church where there are just we're just nervous or concerned, maybe even really nervous about what others think of us or that we won't be as good as someone else. We might get embarrassed and so forth. Sometimes this nervousness is very real and it can take some time to overcome, but it is still manageable with time and some encouragement. Anxiety as an illness is not something that just needs a little push of confidence or even some guidance. It is a chemistry that just sometimes isn't right. It may be extreme or more moderate, but it is not something that can generally be controlled like a bad mood. Yes, part of the treatment is to work through counseling with the illness and to temper some of the symptoms, but most individuals need at least some type of help through medications or other types of sources. So while the Nike advice, just do it, is good for most people, it can be a body blow to those suffering with anxiety. Often you will find that those who suffer don't enter Sunday school or priesthood meetings until the prayer is already said. They avoid leadership who might ask them to do something. They are likely to stay home if they think they might even be asked. If they think that there isn't, there's even a slight chance that they might be called upon to give a testimony in a sacrament meeting, they're going to leave the meeting. They won't attend interviews if they think they might be asked into a calling. In other words, make excuses for the interviews. They, are, they will be frequently sick and even void avoid activities, meetings, and other places where their anxiety might get to that fight-or-flight mode. They often seem nervous, anxious, sometimes evasive, shy, and so forth. However, my personal experience with these individuals is that they are often very spiritual, have strong testimonies, because they have to work at it. They have to really work to fill the Spirit, to receive revelation, to understand the gospel in a spiritual sense. They have a tendency... I'm not saying this about everybody, but they do have a tendency to read a great deal. And so they're often full of knowledge that sometimes they just simply can't teach each other because their body won't allow it. When they let someone into their close circle, it's going to take a great deal of time and effort on both parts of the relationship. It's not that they don't trust people. It is a natural reaction of the illness. This may make them seem standoffish, sometimes snobbish, perfectionist, elitist, and so forth. The reality is far from what you see on the outside. You will find these individuals will take hours choosing clothing, shoes, makeup, or anything outward upon them and anything that presents them to the outside world. Small mistakes are very large in their eyes. What we may not ever see, they can magnify into a mountain. If they are noticed, they worry that it was because of a mistake. And if they aren't noticed, they worry that no one cares 
and they worry as to why they weren't noticed. Sometimes they can get take hours to get ready, and then they can't leave the house. I guess what I'm saying is that it is a miserable illness. However, however what I am also saying is that these individuals are compassionate, knowledgeable. I found them often to be very funny, loving, thoughtful, devoted, and conscientious about others. They notice simple things, even the smallest of things. If they can give generous praise, they do so, and they are often very empathetic. Now, this type of anxiety disorder affects about 2.7% of the population. So in 100 members of the church, you are probably likely to find about three to five individuals that have the illness. Now, I stayed a little higher number because in the church, it seems that we find it at a little higher rate. You also find that it affects women twice the rate of men, although you will find men that have the illness. You'll find that each of the sexes actually is going to deal with it very differently. But you will also find that it is similarly debilitating in them. Now you say, well, what can I do about it? I suppose that in many ways they are similar to most mental illnesses and disorders. You have to understand and recognize that anxiety exists and these disorders exist and they are debilitating, especially within the outward structure of the church. Not that there's anything wrong with the outward structure of the church. In fact, it works well for most people. It's just that the disorders seem to have a affect certain aspects of church activity. It is important to be observant. Most people with anxiety disorder are going to be reserved, shy, often avoid leadership, avoid interactions that might lead to callings and invitations. And sometimes, I would say especially in the male perspective, they can be almost belligerent. They will do this as a mechanism of defense. If they know that you aren't going to ask or push them to do things that elevate their anxiety, they actually can be quite open to conversation and friendship. If you're willing to listen without judgment, notice small things, honestly compliment them, you can be a tremendous help. They most often just need someone in their life on which they can lean and feel comfortable. If that, pers- that person is always at church and beside them, church, act- church and activities can actually become bearable. So a spouse or a companion is often the person on which they rely. Now, if the individual is young, single, divorced, or isolated in some way, then they're probably going to need a good friend that can be of help. And what I might want to refer to as a shield. If you know them well, and you know that they really can't give a talk or teach a lesson because of the anxiety, or even take a calling, then you as a friend can be their buffer. This type of buffer can be the most valuable thing anyone dealing with this illness can have, and can actually make life and life within the church bearable. There is something important to note about individuals with anxiety. Anxiety can be triggered by traumatic events within one's life, such as abuse, accidents, deaths, suicide, and other types of events one would consider traumatic. The anxiety may show up right away with the the trauma, or it may not show up for years. It can be a frightening illness to someone who has never experienced mental illness. It can shut them down almost completely emotionally, physically, and spiritually. They're really going to need professional help, especially with these traumatic events. And that in and of itself is going to create even a greater anxiety in them most of the time. Now with time and professional help, they can, it can actually make a huge difference. But getting them to the point of help may be almost as difficult as getting the help, especially with someone who has never experienced mental illness. Now, anxiety does come in many forms, shapes, sizes, and in differing variations. Yes, our current society does create a more difficult experience at times for those people with anxiety. I think that some of this is actually well-documented. Social media, public, private public and private education experiences, social events, 
Even being around people on a regular basis often causes anxious concerns um, and anxiety. However, our society is probably not likely to change anytime soon. So helping someone with their illness is going to have to happen within the framework that we have. Yes, we can alter the framework while children are young or tailor the framework and help ease them into the cultural framework where they are going to be asked to work and serve. And I also do believe that we should work to change the problematic issues of society. But in general, we are going to be asked to live and interact physically in Babylon and while we still live spiritually as though we are in Zion. This is going to mean that youth and adults with the illness are going to need help to adjust and to find treatment methods and coping mechanisms that allow them to function effectively. We need to do our part with the professional help and also with the Lord. Now, I know there are many individuals who do not believe or want to seek out professional help for these kind of anxiety disorders, and there are many reasons for that. I'm not here to convince anyone about what to believe or how to go about the process. What I am going to ask is simply that you have an open mind. I think that's all the Lord really needs to work. If we close out opportunities by excluding certain possibilities, we limit what the Lord can do to treat and help others. I am certainly not asking anyone to walk outside of covenants or to try things that are on the fringes of treatment, but <clears throat> simply to keep thoughts open about to what the Lord might be able to put there to help these individuals. If you're a leader who has someone in your organization that struggles, there are a few things you can do to help, and they're actually quite easy and generally fall into what you should be doing anyway. The first is to look for some signs and symptoms of the illness. Youth, for instance, are going to be naturally hesitant, nervous, anxious, afraid, and so forth. But if you find someone with an extreme aversion that seems to be more severe or beyond what would normally be expected, you might consider them as though they might be suffering from the illness. Often you don't know that they suffer from the illness, and it causes all kinds of issues, including inactivity. They feel as though they're going to have to pray read aloud, perform, any, perform in any outward manner, their mind will quickly resort to the fight or flight pretext. And then it is wise to make sure that you as a leader become the shield that they need to be able to belong. Now, instead of a sacrament talk or even blessing the sacrament, there might be other ways in which a young man or even a young woman could serve and still feel as a valuable member of a quorum or class. Now, leadership for Anyone, including adults who suffer, is, is going to be difficult. They are going to have trouble fulfilling assignments and other callings. This is not out of a lack of desire. They are going to be very desirous, but the illness prevents them from moving forward. They're generally going to need someone there occasionally to encourage and help. This doesn't mean that they can't teach or do many things, good things in the quorum without someone by their side. Their abilities are going to vary according to the illness and the relationships they've developed. What they will need is a fallback once in a while, someone that can help them through those anxious moments, who understands their disease and understands them. Now, finally, the best thing you can do is simply to be a good friend who gets to know them on a personal level. Notice the things they do well and their talents. I have found these individuals often have great talents in music, art, spiritual matters, literature, and so forth. They're often knowledgeable about a variety of topics, and if you hit the right topic, you're going to find them very educational. If you look for them, you're going to find them, and the result will be wonderful. You will be able to help them use their talents and abilities within the church and for the Lord. Now, that's probably enough for today, but may the Lord continue to bless you in your affliction 
and in your service to those who are afflicted. And as always, remember, the Lord requires the fight, and then he can do his part.